they had this very specific idea of what they want to do. And I was like, great, yes, you called the right place. My communications person came in the office and I told her, I was like, we're going to get this money and we're going to do this. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't know how to do that. And I, and I said, yeah, neither do I, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you're listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. I have an amazing guest on the show today. It is Marjorie Gilberg, who is the CEO of NCJWLA. But before we get to Marjorie, I want to talk a little bit about doing audience segmentation for your brand. You know, I was just working with an amazing technology team in a huge tech company, really looking at refining their brand. And we spent a huge chunk of time thinking about segmenting our stakeholders. And it really reminded me just how important that step is. When you are looking to do transformation in your career, you've got to make sure that your brand brand isn't about you. That's right. Your brand isn't about you. It's actually about how you show up and super serve your key stakeholders, which I love to call a career audience. Now, I will tell you, when I was working with this team earlier today, we did a whole ton of virtual post-its where we put real people's names and stuck them all up, and then we grouped them all together. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, even if you've already worked on your brand and you honed that down. You know what? Our career audience is changing all of the time. I want you to grab a pad of post-its and I want you to put down 20, 30, maybe even 40 names of the key stakeholders who are in your career audience. A great mixture of people who've known you for a long time, a great mixture of people that may be newer in your circle, people who work with you every single day and people who've worked with you over a long period of time. I want you to stick those post-its up on the wall and I want you to pull them into class. Clusters. If you could cluster them and not by demographics, right? Not by these people work on my team, these people don't, but more around behaviors. What is that secret sauce? What is that through line on how people need to interact with you or need from you in order to be successful? What is it that they really want in situations with you or in their broader career universe? And what are some of those cares that might be unstated? If you can create anywhere from two to four different clusters, you are going to be able to see ways that you can super serve people in a much more broad way. And you need to make sure that your brand is in service of all of these types of people. 
Well, I'm super excited for our guest today. It's Marjorie Gilberg, who is the CEO of the National Coalition of Jewish Women here in Los Angeles. Now, Marjorie is a triple bottom line enthusiast who is specializing in results-driven partnerships for causes and companies. She has dedicated her life to the nonprofit world and During her short tenure as CEO of NCJWLA, she has led the effort to modernize the over 100-year-old agency and create an inclusive culture, preparing the organization for a sustainable future. Prior to that, Marjorie was the executive director of the House of Blues Music Forward Foundation, where she transformed the organization by leading a complete operations and brand overhaul. And prior to that, she was the executive director of Break the Cycle, a a national nonprofit dedicated to preventing dating abuse. Now, as an outspoken advocate, she has appeared in hundreds of media outlets, including CNN, The Washington Post, MTV, and The Today Show. We'll be back in just a few moments with Marjorie Gilbert. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back. I am here with one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. It is Marjorie Gilberg, who is the CEO of NCJWLA. Marjorie, what's going on? Oh, you know, rocking and rolling. Just the usual. Oh, just the usual, running a huge nonprofit organization. So tell me, when you first meet people, how do you explain who you are and what you do? I don't usually give them my actual job. I usually say something along the lines of that I'm a non-profiteer and that I have a career in social justice and I've worked for a lot of causes. So I never really lead with the cause. I usually lead with the work itself and focus on sort of how I come at it as opposed to what I'm, what I'm working on. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. Tell us a little bit about NCJWLA. National Council of Jewish Women Los Angeles, uh, I like to call it NCJWLA, because it's not really about Jewish women. It was founded by Jewish women over 100 years ago, but really today it's an organization that reflects the vibrant community we live and work in here in Los Angeles. So our staff and the people we serve are as diverse as any other community that you would find here in LA. We focus on economic justice for women. And I'm super proud of that because we didn't necessarily focus when I got there. And that's a big part of what I've done since I've been there is help really give the organization a targeted mission, vision, and place to put the resources that we have. The thing that I'm the most proud of right now at NCJWLA is our launching of our Guaranteed Income Project, which is funding a cohort of first responders who are in the healthcare field, who are women, who are head of household, and who are actually above the the borderline of of receiving public benefits, but are below sort of the the real cost of living here in Los Angeles. So they're surviving, but they're not thriving. And we're the first pilot in the country that's targeting a demographic that's slightly above like the poverty level where they're typically piloting these programs. 
Um, and we're hoping that we're going to be able to demonstrate some pretty tremendous outcomes in terms of how you can help people who are, you know, really working every day and earning an okay wage, but not really enough to survive and support their families. Wow. What an amazing program that sounds like. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that you have this sort of exciting and varied background in the nonprofit world, right? On the development and fundraising side, and then as executive director and, and CEO of, of several organizations. When you look back over your career, what have been some of the biggest career breakthrough moments for you? Well, the first one was when I realized how good I was at fundraising. I got into my first nonprofit job, very green. Uh, it was a, just a really lucky placement at an organization that was incredibly reputable in the community. And I got to be mentored by some of the top leaders in the nonprofit sector in the country, really, because it was, it was a large Boys and Girls Club chapter here in Los Angeles. The leader there was actually recognized by the Boys and Girls Club nationally as one of the top executives in their programs. So really fortunately got in. And I remember he used to call me Midas because pretty much everything <laughs> that I went after, we got. Like all the money we went after, we got. And we were able to forge some really large partnerships with some major corporations. And that's when I realized not only was I good at fundraising, but I had a niche in that I really understood the drivers of the corporate sector and was able to marry them with the community need in such a way that really create these win-win programs that the companies were able to invest in community in a way that was really a return on their investment more significant than they had ever seen. That was probably the first breakthrough. And, and talk to me about realizing that you had that differentiator, because as someone that volunteers so much for nonprofit, I know that that can be a really big challenge in an organization, right? Being able to translate and, and talk about value in terms of the way corporations do, right? Yeah. I think, you know, I was raised in a, a entrepreneurial family and I, I business is just sort of in my blood. And I realized that a good nonprofit is just a business with a heart. So mm. there's not, there's not a lot of difference. There's a lot less difference than people think between the for-profit and nonprofit sector. But I, you know, one of the real challenges is that like, while mission can be the driver of the work, it can't really be the way that you operate because you have to, you know, take a values-based approach but also make decisions that are for the betterment of the organization's operations. So there's a lot of times there's limited resources. You have less resources than you would in the for-profit. And you have to really think about how do I balance those in, able to, in, in order to make the best decision for the company. Yeah. So tell me about uh, about your childhood and growing up. You said you came from sort of an on, entrepreneurial background. I mean, did you always know that you wanted to work in, in the nonprofit sector or what did you want to do as a kid? Oh, well, I always thought I was going to be a doctor, uh, but that faded yeah. when I took organic chemistry in college. I pretty much knew that was not <laughs> happening. <laughs> so I then knew, you know, I, I was going to go to graduate school and I was looking at like law and public health. And I, I just knew that I wanted to be focused on justice. Uh, I was really concerned really about equity and, and was able to see, you know, I have a minor in bioethics and a major in American studies and ethnicity. So looking at minority communities within American society and those two things together, I, I had a real eye on particularly health disparities and how those play out. It's not necessarily where I've landed in my career, but you know, I have worked on education equity, some elements of health, as well as economic 
equity too. So, you know, it's part of it, but it's not where I thought I was going to be. I, to be honest, I had no idea a career, like what path, like what I've had even existed. So it's weird that mm. we make people choose when they're in college or younger, what they want to be when they grow up. Cause there's just, who knows what's out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for me, there's always this big shift when you move from sort of being a functional expert, right, in fundraising or development, but then you really step into that executive role, right, as an executive director, now as a CEO of a really large organization. What was that shift for you? Like, how did that breakthrough come for you? Initially, by happenstance, um, I was kind of pushed, <laughs> you know, my, my, the, the executive director or managing director above me at one of my jobs just kept the position was just churning and I was fundraising and finally the board said, look, can you just step into this role for an interim? And it was odd because I was actually the youngest person on staff at the time at that organization. And it was an arts organization. I was hesitant. And then I realized quickly that I could start to really impact change and drive some, again, those key business decisions that were able to improve finances, improve staffing, morale, all of those things that you can impact when you're in charge that you can't really when you're one of the team members. Um, yeah. So it's, it's actually, I mean, it was, it was exciting right away. It was challenging and exciting immediately. And once you get the taste of that, it's hard to not continue to speak <laughs> it out. What was the biggest challenge for you in that time? Uh, to, you know, to be totally honest, in my first leadership roles, I remember um, they got me an executive coach. And I would have this recurring conversation with her about one of my team members that was really problematic. And she finally looked at me one day and she said, here's the deal. You are in charge here. If you do not resolve this situation by terminating this employee, who's like really should have been terminated. Um, she said, then I'm going to go to the board and tell them they made a bad decision by putting you in this job. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, I'm, I need to do this. you know." And it was one of those moments where I think I just, Having not been in that role before, I, I knew what needed to be done, but I didn't really have the courage at the time to make that decision. And I think just pulling that Band-Aid off and doing it the first time was, was actually really reaffirming. And, was able, and I was able to get like on course, I think, much more quickly since then. I've been Absolutely. able to fire people since then. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I mean, you've been in the ED and CEO role at at the Music Forward over at the House of Blues Foundation, over at Break the Cycle. Tell me, as you've moved into these bigger and bigger leadership roles, what, what's been the biggest learning for you or what's the biggest shift that you've had to make? Well, I will tell you something that happened for me was, and this is around brand, personal brand and, and why I think it's so important in context of career is that at break the cycle, I was the, I was at the organization for over 10 years. I was in the executive director role for six of those years. And I, I was getting a lot of media. I was on the today show. I was in the New York times. I was in the Washington, you know, I was on CNN. Like I was almost at least a few times a week being called to be on TV and to talk. I was basically becoming the go-to on a particular topic, which at the time, you know, that organization worked on dating violence prevention and healthy relationship promotion. And I, I knew it, I knew the topic inside and out, but it wasn't necessarily my topic. 
And, you know, my passion is really around transformative leadership in the nonprofit sector and in helping to improve the business of, of nonprofits. And mm-hmm. I can do that for a lot of causes because I care about a lot of causes. And I realized I was kind of at this really critical moment moment where either I was going to become the face of this issue and just go into it and be like, this is me, this is who I am, and I'm just going to do this now for the rest of my life. Or I needed to make a change to like stick to, again, my personal, what I identified as my personal strengths and brand to move into like whatever the next job was. And, you know, it was a, it was a risk, but a calculated risk, obviously to leave something that I knew I was really good at and really making a mark on the, on the issue and becoming, you know, a national expert and go to on the, on the topic, but it, it wasn't my issue. And I knew that. So I needed to make that change. And, you know, that must have been such a hard decision because on one end, it's like, I I remember I'd be like, oh, I'm watching CNN. There's Marjorie, right? You know, a a big issue would happen in popular culture with uh, well-known folks like celebrities. And I'd see on on the Today Show. What ultimately made you feel comfortable making that shift and kind of saying goodbye to something that you were clearly good at? but maybe wasn't your passion point. I think it, I mean, I I listened to your podcast, so I know like it's a lot of what you talk (laughs) about, right? Like there it's, it is, you know, how do you super serve your audience, right? Like your language to throw it back at you. I was serving, I was doing my job, but that wasn't, that was not my audience, right? Like that was it. So it, while it was hard to make the decision, it was, something I just kind of knew internally I had to do if I wanted to continue to grow my career and, and like move it in the direction I needed it to move. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about your brand. How would you describe your brand as an executive? I think of myself as someone who is committed to improving best practices and really identifying what works and looking outside the box I think a lot of times nonprofit leaders are so passionate about the cause that they're working for that they're short-sighted in the, in the ability to drive the, the, the size, the shape, the, the work itself. So for me, again, like the cause doesn't matter as much as are you running, are you, you know, you can do, and a lot of people can do good, but are they doing it well? And that is where I feel Mm. I am really strong. You know, I'm, I'm good at making sure we do good well. And I, and I love to come in. I'm kind of a fixer identifying the things that are like need to be triaged and repaired immediately. So whether that be like policies and practices, some of those like really baseline stuff to some of the bigger picture things, looking at like, how's the organization dealing with inclusivity? You know, for example, I came into the place where I am now and, you know, I had, probably 25% of my employees whose first language was not English. And we had never Mm. done any employee communication in Spanish and English. So like even just thinking about how are our employees getting messages from us? How are people feeling part of the community? It's fascinating because we did like an employee wellness survey, you know, to see how people are doing like a climate survey. And we sent it in English and Spanish, and we had about a quarter of the employees took it in Spanish, which is an indicator that they wanted that language, right? Like they needed yeah. to feel like they were being even invited to take the survey. So just things wow. like that, where I see like, they're not huge. I, I don't think that I'm doing anything that somebody else couldn't do. I think it's more about 
most people in this particular job aren't looking to make those changes. So it's just, it's a different approach to nonprofits. So again, right, how are you differentiating yourself and the value that you can bring to an organization? What are three words that you would use to describe your brand? So resourceful. I'm, I'm excellent at finding, finding the right people, information, tools that we need to get the job done. I think of myself as, I think I use this word already, but transformative, really committed to, to change for the better. And I'm also, you know, my personal brand, I think of myself as a social justice warrior, right? Like I, I want to make sure that these things are happening in a way that is effective because it matters to me. You know, I care about whether or not people can survive in Los Angeles if they're working all the time, right? Like if you're working 60 hour weeks and you're at a really good job and you went to specialized schooling for it and you still aren't making enough to like live here, that doesn't, that's not okay. Like we're not, we're not in a space where people can thrive in this country. So we need to make sure that we're, uh, that people who can address it are addressing it and doing it in an effective way. Yeah. So I love that transformative, resourceful, a social justice warrior, right? I even love how uh, bespoke and, and ownable social justice warrior is for you. And, and you can hear that in what you talk about. Now, would you say that in your career, you've always would have described yourself that way? Or have you made some shifts and, uh, and, and changes over time to be where you are today? I have definitely shifted. I think to be, I mean, first of all, when you, when you, when you're young, I think you kind of think, you know, everything about everything, right? Like if you think, if you're one of those kind of people, which I certainly, I mean, don't we, didn't we, <laughs> didn't we know everything then? I thought we did, but I realized, you know, I'm such a better listener now in terms of like hearing, I, I, I'm, I know how I show up for my employees is so different, even than how I show up sometimes in my personal life, which I should probably work on that too. But like, <laughs> but, but among my team members, like I, I just know, you know, people need different, different pieces of different types of support and in order to mm. be successful in the workplace. So I think I've evolved enormously. I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was when someone comes to you with something, whether it be shocking or positive or negative or whatever, that your first response should be, hmm. So that is just to give yourself time to think about it, not just react. And I think I'm really good at that at work. Like I, I'm, yeah. I also, you know, push my team to be solutions oriented. And, you know, I, I rely a lot more. I realize at some point, you know, I may be able to do every job, but I can't do all of them at once. So you have to be able mm. to count on your team. <laughs> you know, to do that. And it's great to have team members you can count on. That's the other thing. It's like, it feels so good to have a strong group of successful people that you're, you know, helping to sort of drive direction, but they're doing, they're doing it. You know, I love that. So I, I definitely was not in that space when I was a young new leader. That's not, <laughs> not how I came at it. Definitely. Not. And, and, and how did you learn to be a good listener? What, what was one of those moments when you were like, ah, me being a teller isn't the winning solution here? Well, being in nonprofits, it kind of forces your hand because there's, there's, there's definitely a sense among people who work in the sector that it's very kumbaya and everyone should have a voice and it should be a democracy. And this, I mean, we, I think anyone who's in the business world knows businesses are not run by democracy. If they were, they would not be, they would not be successful. Right. So, <laughs> right. Like, there's hard decisions that have to be made sometimes, I think. But because of that, because people have this expectation to be able to have an opinion or be, you know, included in decision-making, 
it, like I said, it kind of forced my hand to at least open the conversations up for things that maybe I didn't want everyone's weighing in on, but realizing, you know, that having those, that input was so valuable. You know, once you start to recognize that it's, you don't want to miss out on it, then you really want to hear what people have to say, obviously. Yeah. And I noticed that you said you need to show up in different ways for different team members, right? How do you show up in different ways, but still remain authentic to yourself? I do a lot. Again, I try to do a lot of check-in at the beginning of any meeting, right? I want to know how they're coming into it. In the last, just before COVID, we brought this practice into our organization called uh, the uh, council. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's this very, um, you know, supposedly based in like tribal practices and like the circle, this council circle thing model. I was so skeptical. I thought it was so hokey. And I was like, this is just so not me. Like, I am not going to like this, but like I begrudgingly joined the circle and like participated and I could see after the first session how much of an impact it was going to have on our organization, how much of a positive impact it was going to have. And, you know, that practice, that's only, that's something new I've incorporated where I'm just getting so much better at like check the check-in part of it, where someone comes into my Zoom space or meeting space now. And the first thing I ask them is like, how was your weekend? Or how are you feeling today? Or you know, because I don't, it, it sets the tone for what I'm willing to bring into the meeting. And I can still be authentic that way, but at least I know how authentic I need to be. <laughs> where, where should I bite my tongue? So, <laughs> Right. I mean, it's really like the right behavior at the right time with the right level of intensity, right? That's right. That's exactly it. And, you know, I'm so interested because I love when you say that you're a social justice warrior and it makes me think you have this great reputation for working with corporations and then being able to flex to team members that are just so mission focused, right, and passionate about the mission. How do you show up as a social justice warrior in a way that brings people in and not, you know, scares away corporations that are like, oh, activism, that's a little too much, right? Right. Um, or even, or even your, your, your team members that are looking a little bit for the softer side. What I have realized is that, you know, it is not, there's nothing wrong with a business that wants to serve the community and also drive their bottom line at the same time. Mm. Right. Like that's a, that's actually, you know, I'm, I call myself a triple bottom line enthusiast, right? Like people, planet and profit. I, I'm a big believer in that theory, that philosophy, that approach, and I support businesses that want to do that. So I, you know, I love talking to corporate folks who are in the space of designing marketing programs or campaigns or whatnot to bring them into a particular issue and helping them understand how to translate that into something that actually does have impact. Because, you know, corporations are some of the most flexible, accessible funders in the entire you know, for nonprofits to get at. Most nonprofits can't get to that money because they don't understand it, right? They go after traditional foundations or individual donors or, you know, they do special events, whatever they can do to kind of make it work. But the corporate dollars are actually much more disposable, right? They're they're typically at someone's discretion. They can make decisions like overnight. They have huge budgets for marketing and communication. Like they're, they have the dollars to invest, but if they do it and they don't, have success, they're not going to do it again. 
So for me, like I said, it's easy for me to talk to those folks because I am not afraid to talk to them about what they want to talk about, which is how is this going to drive our bottom line? Like, I want to talk about that too and say, oh, and by the way, you're also going to meet this need and like look really good in the community because, um, and then from the mission, you know, talking to those mission focused folks, which I sometimes, you know, it is off-putting to talk about profit to the folks who are in the nonprofit. But the thing that I find, and this is probably part of my leadership style too, is I think I help those folks who are really program and service oriented in the sector understand that those things don't exist without the funding, mm. right? Like you can care about it all you want, but if you don't have the dollars to run the programs, they're not going to happen. So it's yeah. not dirty. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with thinking about how are we going to fund this and how are we going to bring those two um, goals together to make success for the community? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, if we can't keep the doors open, no one's coming in. Right. That's right. Yeah. Tell me a fun story about working with corporations. What is one of those integrations that you've done with a for-profit, with a nonprofit that you're most proud of? And you really felt like, wow, that was just a win for everyone all the way around. Well, I've had some huge ones. I mean, I've built a dental clinic with Crest and I've done, you know, I've done some giant things that were, you know, multi-year millions of dollars. But I honestly think one of my favorite ones was when Verizon was in the domestic violence prevention space and they were really trying to put some money out there. And, you know, there's a lot of connection around cell phones and both how cell phones are used to control and abuse people, but also how they become like your safety line. Like you're there, you're one like place of safety. So Verizon rightfully was like very engaged in that space. And I had had many years of relationship with them. And one day I got a call from someone in the corporate that was like, Hey, we have a couple hundred thousand dollars. We've got to spend. We want to do something for teens. And like they had this very specific idea of what they want to do. And I was like, great. Yes. You called the right place. And then I got my, my my communications person came in the office and I told her, I was like, we're going to get this money and we're going to do this. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't know how to do that. And I, and I said, yeah, neither do I, but we're going to figure it out. (laughs) So it was actually like a super fun project to just, you know, we ended up working with a a really reputable marketing firm and we did some really cool focus groups with um, different populations of young people. Some that were like folks who were already going to get services and help. And those who were like just at the mall, right? Like kids that are just out there in the world. And just trying to understand like where the differentiation is. And then we created this very cool, like almost it, like a photo novella, uh, like a comic book in English and Spanish. Yeah. It ended up being just such a cool resource. And like, it was educational, but it was like cool and kids wanted it. Like everyone wanted to get their hands on it and just super proud. I don't know, for some reason, because of, because it was so out of the realm of anything that I had ever done or that my team had ever done. And we were just like, yeah, we're going to figure that out. We're going to, we had to, we had to do casting and graphic design, like getting artists, graphic artists. And anyway, it turned out awesome. So I'm, that's one of my favorite little projects we did. Oh, that's cool. The past 18 months have been wild for everyone, but it, it strikes me that especially in the nonprofit sector, 
it's been incredibly difficult, especially when you're in the social justice arena, right? We, we've been through a whole reckoning around social and racial injustice on top of seeing all of the inequities of COVID and then seeing funding streams be compromised by that, right? What's the biggest thing that you learned about yourself during this past 18 months of, of COVID and a post-George Floyd world? Well, I have some particular personal connection to this. Obviously, my my partner is African American. My child is mixed race. So we had, you know, a lot of intense moments, even in my home, just in the last 18 months around some of these topics. You know, if anything, I feel I've it's made me sort of double down on my commitment to key certain issues. I've all, like I said, I've always sort of been cause non-specific, like not necessarily requiring a particular issue. And I'm starting to feel more so like, as I think about what am I going to do next, that it does need to be tied to some of these things that are that, that are very important to my family and to me personally. So that's probably the most personal change that I felt is again, you know, I'm really proud of the work we're doing at NCJW LA right now. And it definitely aligns economic justice is is absolutely a part of that story. But I know, you know, criminal justice reform, some of those issues, as I think about like how, how I want to move into my next phase of my career down the road, you know, those are going to be important things for me to consider. What you want to help fix next. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So a couple of final questions for you. We've been talking about your brand, but as a consumer, what is your favorite brand? What can you not live without? Lately, I've been kind of obsessed with stuff for my daughter. So I'm all about, this is so lame, but like Cat and Jack at Target, they just have like the cutest (laughs) stuff. And I try not to spend money on clothes for kids because they just go through them so fast, but it's so cute. Some of it, I can't deal without, I can't, it's just such a good brand. I don't, and I don't understand. And then I'm like, well, why is it only the only cute brand? Why can't, you know, other kids brands be this cute, but they just nailed it. Like everything that they produce is the cutest thing that you've ever seen. So you have to buy it. It's it's horrible. And you're like, I came in here for milk and I bought my child an outfit. And a wardrobe. <laughs> a outfit. I wish it was an outfit. Wardrobe. They have like the cutest stuff. Yeah. Can Jack, super cute. And now if you were a car, what type of car would you be if Marjorie was a car? I think that I would be what I have, which is an Accord, a Honda Accord. It's reliable. It is uh, still good looking car, you know, still sleek enough, but not, uh, not too flashy and uh, really just you can count on it, right? Like it's a car, it's going to, it's going to be there for a few years. You're going to be able to drive it for at least 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) So, <laughs> we like can count on you. Count on it, yeah. And finally, Marjorie, what is the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? So, yeah, I think the most important piece of advice I could give is, you know, to, to find your circle of support. And some people call it your personal board or board of directors or whatever they're calling it these days. But generally speaking, trying to find those folks who you know you can go to, bounce ideas off of, who will be honest with you. When uh, you're making some of those tough decisions and, and won't just blow smoke in your face and, and tell you what you want to hear. I mean, you really need those kind of friends. I feel like I've been very fortunate to have them. And the, and the best way to put those people together is from a varied background. You know, the people mm. you can find 
who have the most different kinds of perspective, I think really helps. Absolutely. Well, Marjorie Gilberg, thank you so much for being a social justice warrior and being on the show. How can we learn more about your organization, NCJWLA? You can visit us online at ncjwla.org. And we also have a thrift resale shop that if you're local in Los Angeles, you can visit one of our locations. But if you're not, you can shop our eBay store and support our program. So it's an easy way to help out. And you still get to buy something. (laughs) Awesome. Just like going into Target. Yeah, right. Marjorie, thank you so much for being on the show. I'll talk to you later. Thank you. And we'll be back in a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I just loved our conversation with Marjorie. There were just so many great tidbits, and I was really drawn in to how she was so focused on what her passion was that she didn't just let having a job that she was great at guide her to a place where she knew she would not ultimately be fulfilled. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us to think about. You always want to be managing that mixture, right? That intersection of your amazing talents, your fabulous passions, and organizational need. Now, I love that Marjorie talked about how she was really using her great talents on the platform as an advocate to meet the needs of not only the organization she was serving, but also the general marketplace. But she started to realize that that wasn't meeting her passions and she knew there was time to realign. And that's the great thing about your career. Your career isn't a ladder. It's really a matrix, right? It's like that jungle gym where you move up and across and down and diagonal and over. And there's always time to make a new choice and go in a new direction on your journey. Well, that's our show for you today. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. If you did, make sure you're hitting that follow button on iTunes or wherever you are getting your podcast so you get a brand new episode and a brand new interview every single Tuesday. Make sure to follow me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria and catch me on LinkedIn if you want to have a great conversation. And with that in mind, make sure that in your career, you are not being a boring old commodity like coffee. You must be that super premium brand just like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.